Amen, amen. If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, let's open up to the book of Genesis chapter 18. Last week we, um, we had an interesting Sunday. Our, our sound system was out, and um, I've got some... Um, I have since had some feedback from a lot of you and and have shared with me that that was uh, one of the most spirit-filled services um, that maybe we've had in a long time here. And and God's always up to something. He always has a reason for things like that to happen. And um, so whoever, all of you who were here, uh, you were meant to be here for that. Um, You know, we didn't get to broadcast it on Facebook and uh, we didn't get to record the message or anything like that. So so just consider those of you who were here last week, there was a reason you were here to be a part, and God probably was intending for you to hear that message last week, which which was basically nothing is impossible with, with God, right? Is anything too difficult for him? And many of you are maybe still praying on that big that one thing, right? We talked about that. What is that? What is that one thing, that one need, that one big prayer? that you have right now, that you're trusting God to come through, you're trusting him to provide, you're trusting him to answer because you're basing that on the fact of his character and nature, that he is He is greater, he is stronger, he is higher, he, uh, nothing is impossible with him, nothing is too difficult for him. So keep praying, keep trusting. And if, if and when he answers that prayer for you what, do you, what do you, what did I ask you to do? Tell me about it. Tell somebody about it, but tell us about it. We need to start, we need to start hearing answers to prayer. We need to, we need to start remembering that God is still in the business of answering these, these prayers, especially these big prayers. And so today, we, we continue to just move through the book of Genesis, and we're going to look at the first part of Genesis 18 this morning, and the, the title of this message is that the judge of all the earth will do right. He will do right. Um, I think it's important that we understand as, as we are made and created in the image of God, every single human being on the planet, regardless of how you were raised or what belief system you were raised in or or what what philosophy or religion that you're a part of, there's one common reality within every single individual on the face of the planet because we are made in the image of God. We are are his image bearers. We we have part of his, his nature, so to speak, his attributes, that we can be like him in so many ways. And because of that, every single person on the planet today and every single person that's ever lived on this planet in history, every single one of them knew the difference between what? Right and wrong. We know it. It just is. Everybody knows it. And the Bible calls that our our conscience. That even if you're an unbeliever or you may be far away from God or you may be out there in the world just just living in sin, we still have a conscience. And we know the difference between right and wrong. And that's important because today's message is going to remind us that we serve a God who is righteous. 
He is just. And we can depend upon him. This is, this is where it's really important. Because of who he is, we can trust and we can depend upon him that he will always do that which is right. Now, can we depend on each other to always do that which is right? No. Can we depend on ourselves to always do that which is right? Cannot. But God, you can depend on him. Because that's just who he is. And so this passage today, I, I think, is, is very valuable at a time like this because I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I mean, you're, you're probably like me. It doesn't take much to look out into the world and the culture around us and, and realize that we're in, a, we're in a big old mess. Our world, our world is, is just in a mess. That's not difficult for us to see. And I know on one hand, there's really nothing new under the sun. Sin's been around since the beginning. Men have, men have been doing sinful things since the beginning. There's been evil and, and murder and war and uh, injustice and oppression and abuse and, and all of those things. Those things have always been around. I know that. There's been some very, very dark eras in human history. But I do think that as we look around our culture today and we just when we just take a, a, an evaluation of where we are as a human race, it can become pretty grim. We can we can become to get we can we can really become very discouraged, at least I can. Anybody in the room concerned about the world that our children will be growing up in? Grandchildren. And so part of us understands that, and, and that's where I, I really want to jump into the passage today because that's a given. Like, we really, nobody can really argue that. I mean, anybody that's honest is going to say, yeah, our world is just messed up. It's just, there's too much evil and sin and, and darkness and and perversion and all of that, right? But I don't want to focus on that today. I really want to focus on you and me, which is, I think, what God would have us to focus on right now. And so if you look at Genesis 18, I, I just want to, I want to read a several verses here, and we're going to... Um, let me see, where, would I want to, where do I want to start here? Let's go to 22. No, sorry, back up. Genesis 18, 16. Now, if you remember last week, the Lord shows up. He appears to Abram. He's got two men with him. Uh, we later find out in this in this whole episode that these two men with him were actually angels, and they have a mission. They're about to go into this place called Sodom. And the Lord is there with Abram, and these two men leave, and they begin to head on their journey to do what God has commissioned them to do. But the Lord stays back with Abram, with Abraham. 
And, and they had this little exchange, this little interaction here. So I want you to, I want you to see what's going on here, okay? So look at, look at verse 16 in Genesis 18. The men set out from there, okay? So these are these two angels who were with the Lord. And they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Notice, notice what the Lord says here to Abraham, so that he may command his what? Children. Grandchildren. The next what? Generation. Abraham was a contemporary with Sodom and Gomorrah. He lived it. He was alive to see it with his own eyes. Don't you think he was concerned for his children and his grandchildren? And then the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And so the men turned there and went towards Sodom, and Abraham there stood before the Lord. And then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you, Lord, to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Look at what he says. Far be it from you shall the judge of the earth do, shall, excuse me, shall not the judge of the earth do what is right. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And then, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but y'all probably understand. So then Abraham's like, okay, well then for 45, will you spare the city? Yeah, I'll spare it for 45. Oh, then for 40, right? For 30. Well, for 20. Finally says, Lord, for just 10 people, if there's just 10 righteous people in the city, Lord, will you spare the whole city for those 10 righteous, Lord? And God says, yeah, I would spare the city for just 10. Which tells us what? There's not even 10 righteous people in this place. Matter of fact, I'm pretty convinced that maybe Lot was the only one left. Because Lot was called a righteous man, a man of faith. And even though his daughters and his wife and even his, son, his son-in-laws were called to come out with him because of his household, looking back, I think maybe there was just one left. So the generation that we're living in today is not very much unlike what Abraham and his family were living in some 4,000 years ago. 
So we have a lot to learn about this passage. Will the judge of the earth not do what is right? The first thing, guys, I just want to share with you about this passage is that let's, let's take a minute to look at this from our perspective, from a personal perspective, okay? The first thing is that all of us must stand before the judge of the earth and we must give a what? We've got to give an account of our life. Now here's what I want you to understand about this. This is what kind of fascinated me about this passage. And guys, I've preached on this before and I've read this and I've preached on this probably from a very, looking at this from a, a very outward perspective. Again, pointing the finger at our culture. Oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Look at all the sin and perversion in our world today. And that's true. It is. But I don't want to look at it from that perspective today. I want to look at it from your perspective and my perspective. Did Abraham know what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? He was fully aware. Now, he had enough sense to stay away from that. Whereas Lot, his nephew, was all up in the middle of that. And it cost him dearly, right? We've, we've, we've talked a lot about Lot and the consequences of his sin. And, and, and this, again, the fact that he's there is, is going to cost him. So Abraham at least knows enough to say, look, I don't want to be part of that culture. I don't want to be associated with those people. Those things that they're doing are very, very wicked, as it says here. Um, it says, I will, uh, the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave. There's, there's, this, there's this feeling that, that whatever was going on in Sodom, and there were many different problems in Sodom. We're not even going to talk about all those things here necessarily today. But whatever it is, it was sickening to God. It was, it was, it was angering the Lord of all the earth. And Abraham knew all about it. And so now Abraham's sitting there talking with the Lord. The Lord sends the angels down to Sodom. They're going to go do and accomplish the mission that they have set before them. Here we have Abraham and the Lord talking. And look, think about it. They're not standing there looking down at Sodom. You know, picture them kind of being in an elevated place somewhere in the land of Canaan. So you can probably see down into the valley. The valley there in Sodom and Gomorrah was down around the Dead Sea, the lowest part. It's actually the lowest elevation on the face of the earth, below sea level, as far as land mass. So they could see down, you could see the cities of the plain from their, their perspective. And the Lord and Abraham, they're not standing up there looking, looking down at Sodom saying, man, those people, golly. Man, those are some wicked people. Aren't they terrible, Abraham? Man, think about all the stuff they're doing. Can you believe that? Can you believe that they would, that they would just celebrate sin openly like they're doing? Sounds a lot like our day, right? Open celebration of sin, justifying sin. I find it interesting that that's not, that's not really what their conversation was like. As a matter of fact, what does the Lord tell Abraham? What the Lord tells Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to remind you of what your responsibility is. Yeah, we all know what's going on down there. I'm not worried about them, Abraham. I've got, I'm going to deal with them. Will the judge of all the earth not do right? 
We all must stand before God and give an account. But the main thing I'm seeing here is that he tells Abraham, he said, Abraham, wait a minute. Don't worry about them right now. I'm talking to who? I'm talking to you. And I'm talking to you. And God's talking to me. And what God is telling me and reminding me in this whole passage of Scripture is, he's saying, Marcus, you can look at this culture and this generation all you want, and you can point the finger all you want, but guess what? Guess what, son? One day, you are going to stand before me. And guess what? You're not going to have anybody else to blame. Nobody else to blame. You're not going to be able to blame your parents. You're not going to be able to blame your spouse. You're not going to be able to blame the culture. You're not going to be able to blame your circumstances. You're not going to be able to blame the the bad lot that you got in life. You're not going to be able to blame all the bad things that happened to you in life to, to justify any of the decisions that you made. None of that stuff is going to fly on the day that you and I must stand before the judge of all the earth and give an account of whose life? Our life. I don't think that I don't think we have a, a great enough fear for that. I don't. So he's he's telling Abraham, Abraham, here's your responsibility. You're the man of faith, right? You're the one that I've chosen. You're the one that I've called to be my representative in this generation. You're the one that I've blessed. You're the one that I've given these promises to. So Abraham, oh, by the way, here's your responsibility. You are to command your children and your household after you to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and what is just. So what's our responsibility? We are to keep the commandments of the Lord by doing that which is what? Right and just. And teach it to our children and grandchildren. And at the end of the day, think about it. Can we really do anything else? Can we control what's happening in the world around us and the culture around us? So God has given us basically very simple responsibility. You got to take care of yourself and your family. You know what I think? I think the reason many times our culture has spiraled out of control into the the sinful, perverted, wicked culture and generation and that we've that we've kind of experienced and we we observe now in our world I think it's because Godly people failed at their own responsibility to take care of themselves and their what? And their family. I really do. I'm not saying that that's, that's the only reason that we're living in this, in this situation that we're in. But Lord knows things would be a lot better if we had just simply looked at ourselves, lived our lives in light, of our responsibility before God and taught the next generation after us to do the same. And with every passing generation we failed to do that, that's another generation that has just got completely absorbed and sucked in by the what? By the what? And then they're going to teach their children and their grandchildren to do the very, very same thing. 
Everybody must stand before the judge of the earth and give an account of their lives. Let me share a couple of verses with you. Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Think about that. God doesn't even God isn't only going to judge us according to our actions, the things that we have done or didn't do. He's even going to judge us according to our what? Our thoughts and our intentions, our motivations. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and exposed before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word there in the Greek is, we are naked. We have nowhere else to what? Hide. But we're good at hiding now. We can hide things from each other. We can do that. We can hide behind situations, circumstances. We can blame other people. We can, we can make excuses. We can justify our actions. We, we can do all that kind of stuff. We can make ourselves feel good about ourselves. We can hide behind so many things right now. But there's coming a day when we must stand before the judge of all the earth and we will have nowhere else to Think about that. 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive his due for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. So I guess basically, guys, what I'm saying is, is that it is easy for us to point the faults out in other people. But at the same time, we're so quick to ignore our own what? We are. Now, some may, be, some may be more honest with themselves than others. Some may be willing to examine their, themselves better than others. But it's just human nature. Is that it's so easy to look out around us and look at the culture around us and point the finger at all the wickedness and evil around us. And honestly, guys, what it does, it makes us feel better about ourselves. At least I'm not as bad as such and such. And so it gives us this false sense of righteousness that in honestly, God doesn't care anything about. He didn't care about that. Because he's trying to remind you and me today what he was reminding Abraham 4,000 years ago. Abraham, I've called you to be responsible for yourself, for your family, and one day you're going to have to give an account before me with what you did in the life that I gave you. And that's the same thing that he's got to do with us. So guys, it is, I mean, we've talked about this. You know, you, you remove, the, remove the plank or the log from your own eye before you can, 
help your brother remove the speck from his eye, right? So that, 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 that just self-righteous judgment where we got all this problem in our life, but we're quick to point out the sin in other people's lives. And Jesus is trying to help us understand that's not the way that, that we need to be, right? We need to first be what? Let's take this big thing out of our eye. Let's, let's get these things right in our life. And then, yeah, we might be able to help a brother or a sister, you know, figure out or, or see some things in their life that, that we can help them walk them through, whatever it may be. But until we're willing to examine ourselves first, we're really not going to be in any position to help anybody else, nor should we. So we're looking inwardly. We need to examine our own hearts and and live our lives in, in light of God's righteous standards. When we spend less time judging others and more time judging ourselves, Here's what happens. We become more aware of our need for God, and that gives us a spirit of compassion and grace, and it keeps our hearts in a proper perspective because that's the process of killing pride. Again, look at me. At least I'm not as bad as such and such, but it gives us a true spirit of humility. And when we have, when we operate out of the spirit of humility and compassion, we are in a very better position for God to work through us. Because God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Romans 14, why then do you judge your brother or why do you belittle your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written... As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And again, remember, guys, it's not just things that other people see. It's not just things that we do. But it's the thoughts that we have. It's the attitude and intentions of our heart that we have either toward God or other people. Does it bother you at all to know that God is all up in your thoughts? That he knows your motivations? We don't really live like it. A lot of times I know, because I know I don't. I know I've been through plenty of, plenty of times in my life where I did something that I thought was good but did it for the wrong what? wrong reason or I thought things that I should have never thought and dwelled on things that I should have never dwelled on and entertained thoughts that I should have never entertained and you knew you didn't know anything about it because you can't read my mind but who can he can and I want to tell you something guys he's keeping a record he's keeping an account there are books being written in heaven right now with our life in it. That's sobering. It should be sobering. And like I said before, there's nowhere else to hide. On that day when we stand before the Lord, and you will stand, 
You're not going to be able to blame anybody else. You're not going to be able to run anywhere. You're not going to be able to um, justify anything. You're not going to be able to hide behind anything else. You're not going to be able to make excuses to the Lord. None of that stuff at that time, none of that stuff is going to fly. None of it. That's why we're going to be naked before him. See, like completely vulnerable. And the thing is, guys, is that we understand that there is one person he's called the judge of all the earth, and he and he alone has the right, he has the right to judge us according to what our sin deserves. There's a word for that. It's called justice. It's called justice. So, yeah, Abraham, I know what's going on down there in Sodom and Gomorrah. Hey, I'm I'm well aware of how bad they are. I'm not worried about them, Abraham. Who am I worried about? What about you? What are you going to do, Abraham? Number two, God is a righteous judge who cannot allow sin to go Unpunished. Now, if we believe God is good, you believe God is good? I do. He's a righteous judge. Okay? What did did righteous judges take bribes? Do they show partiality? No. What do they do? They carry out the full extent of the law. They render judgment. They carry out justice. God is a good God. He is a good judge. He is a righteous judge. Therefore, by definition, by the nature of who he is, he cannot just allow sin to go what? Unpunished. There has to be a price to be paid. If you're a good judge, you do what is right. Now, all of us take some comfort in that. And let me tell you why. Because here's the reality of human nature. When you are the offended party and someone else has offended you or hurt you or taken advantage of you or wronged you, we as human beings, we demand what? Justice. We go to court. This person wronged me. This person stole from me. This person... uh, You know, they defrauded me, whatever it may be. This person hurt me. This person abused me. This person has wronged me in this way. Judge, I demand that they get what? Justice. But when we're the offender, and we're the ones that have wronged somebody else, or we're the ones that have found to be in the wrong, or we're the ones that have done something to hurt somebody else, when we stand before the judge... We don't want what? What do we want? Mercy. We want mercy. But we as human beings need to know, because we're created in the image of God, that our God is a God of justice. There's there's something that is comforting in that, because if he's not a God of justice, then what's the point? 
What's the point of everything? Just do whatever you're going to do. Live however you're going to live. No consequences. If, God, if we don't have to answer to God, if we don't have to give an account of our lives to God, and there are truly no consequences, then what's the point? Just live your life however you want to live it. Take advantage of as many people as you want to take advantage of. Step on as many people's face as you can to get to the top. Eat, drink, and be merry. Have as much uh, pleasure as you possibly can. And in the end, it doesn't matter because it ought, none of it, there's no consequences to any of it. Is that the way that we live? Of course not. We know better than that. Because of who he is. So I want, I want to share this with you. I want you to think about this for a second. See, God cannot just clear the guilty. What I mean by that, he can't just leave the guilty unpunished. So God, so, so when it comes to sin, when it comes to our, our breaking of God's commandments, when it comes to our giving an account to God, God just can't stand there and say, well, you've got all of this on your record against you, but you know what? I'm just going to overlook that. I'm just going to pretend like none of that ever happened. God can't do that. He can't, just, he can't just wish it away or ignore it. Let me put it to you this way. Every time each and every one of us sins, it creates an imbalance, literally. It creates an imbalance in the universe. I want you to think about it this way, okay? So let's say God wants a, a, a harmonious universe where everything is, is in harmony and peace and love and joy and beauty and blessing. That, that's the ideal. That's what heaven would be like, right? But every time we sin, what does it do? It creates a what? An imbalance. Now something's broken. Something, there's a deficit. Okay? Anybody in here uh, an accountant? Work with numbers every day? Some of you? How many of you are... are Sticklers on balancing your checkbook. It has to. It has to be what exactly right. If there's if there's three cents left over, you're like you go back and go and do it all over again because it has to come out what perfect. The the books have to be perfectly what balanced, and it's just it's just economics. If you have a if you have an account and you take something out of that account, now there's a what. There's a deficit. So the only way to bring that account back into what? Balance is that you have to make a deposit. There has to be something. A price has to be what? Paid to bring it back into balance. You see, this is what we're dealing with. When we sin, we literally bring the universe, God's, the order of the universe is now out of balance. It's broken. There's a deficit. So God has to do what? He has to bring it what? Back into balance. That's why there's a price to be paid for our sin. Something must make up the difference. Okay? Now I want you to hold that in the back of your head. I'm going to read a verse from Exodus. Listen to this real quick. Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord... This is God talking to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But listen, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty, but he visits the iniquity of the fathers unto the children of the third and fourth generation. Now I read that and I look at a dilemma that is really shared in that passage of scripture. He will not clear the guilty. He will not leave the guilty unpunished. He can't do it because what kind of a judge is he? He's just. But in the very same passage, he's a forgiving God. He's a, he's a gracious God. He's a merciful God. And so now we have this divine dilemma on our hands. The Lord of all the earth, will he not do what is right? Yes, we can count on him 100% of the time to do what is right. So on one hand, God is just, and he must punish sin, and, and he's got to deal with the consequences of our sin. But on the other hand, God, he is gracious, and he is merciful, and he does want to forgive us. He does want to pardon us. So, so here's the big question. If God has the justice on one hand and grace and love on the other hand, and these two things seem to be mutually exclusive, it seems to be a, an unresolvable dilemma. How is God going to punish our sin but save the sinner at the very same time? Philosophers had, have contemplated this. Religious, religious um, leaders have contemplated this for years and years and years and years. And nobody ever had an answer. How is God going to resolve this issue? Until a baby was born in Bethlehem about 2,000 years ago. Amen. Until God sent his only son into the world to do the unthinkable. How can I still love and forgive and restore the sinner knowing that their sin has to be still what? Punished. And there's your answer right there. The greatest moment in human history. Which leads me to my final point. Only God could find a way to punish Jesus for our sin so that he could extend grace and mercy to those who trust in his work on the cross. In, in the book of Romans, uh, Paul says it this way. Let me just share it with you real briefly in Romans chapter 3. Of course, it says that, that we all have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God, but we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, okay, God put him as a propitiation by his blood, and we receive that by faith. It says this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Now listen to this. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that, listen, this is key. He might be just. Will the judge of, the all, of all the earth do right? Yes, he's just. So he is both just and he is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do you understand what he's saying there? Is that because of who Jesus is and what he was willing to do to go to the cross as our perfect sacrifice, our substitution for sin, is that at the same time God could carry out justice and punish our sin, pay the price for our sin. Jesus took the penalty for our sin. He did all of that so that he could meet God's what? Justice. 
And then at the same time, he could turn around because our, our sin had been dealt with on the cross and justice has been served because of our sin. At the same time, Jesus can then turn around and what can he offer you and me? Grace and mercy and forgiveness. So that anyone who would believe in him, anyone that would believe in him would be justified before God, forgiven and restored. Now I want you to think about that. We often look at the cross as the greatest act of love and mercy and grace that the world has ever seen. And is it? Yes. But you know what we often fail to see the cross as? It was the greatest demonstration of what? Justice. Justice. Will the judge of all the earth not do what is right and just? He found a solution to our biggest problem. And he carried it out by sending his own son to die on the cross to take our place so that we could have the opportunity and just the possibility just the possibility to be restored to God, to be redeemed, to be forgiven. Guys, it doesn't get any better than that. So he did that which, which was right at the cross. Now I want to say one word of caution before we go. I'm, I'm almost done, but I just want to share this one word of caution. Please do not take God's grace as a license to continue to live in, in sin. Please do not abuse God's grace and think that, oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I know he died for me. Oh, I know he has forgiven me. So, um... I got all this grace now. I'm covered by the grace of God. So I can go out there and keep living the way I want to live and keep dabbling in sin and maybe even just going all the way in sin and justifying my behavior because I'm, I'm covered by all this what? Is that the way it works? That's abusing God's grace. That's using God's grace as a license. To sin. And the Bible has something to say about that. I just want to share this as a word of caution. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 10. If we deliberately go on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, then there is no further sacrifice for sin. Think about that. Only a fearful expectation of judgment. We have insulted the spirit of grace. It, is a, it says the Lord will judge his fearful thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. What that means, guys, is, is that you cannot be forgiven for something that you are continually doing willfully in defiance of God, trying to justify some type of sinful lifestyle or behavior, and you think, oh, I'm covered by God's grace, so he's got me covered, and I can just keep living however I want to live. Guys, if you're living in that state, if you're living in that mental condition, if you're living in that spiritual condition, there is no forgiveness for you. There's not. You are not right with God. Now, if you're willing to stop that 
confess that, repent of those things. If you're, if you're hurt, if, if it, your heart hurts and you're grieved over those things and you confess it to God and you say, God, I don't want to live like this anymore. God, I'm, I'm tired of living this life in sin. Yes, there is what for you? There is forgiveness. There is grace. And even if you know that you're struggling with the season of life, you're struggling with the sin in your life, and you hadn't had full victory in it yet, but you're still what? You're still wrestling with it. You're still trying. You're striving with God. You're, 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 you're miserable in your condition. You may stumble and fall, but you're not trying to justify it. You're not trying to just say, well, this is just what I'm going to do. Y'all understand what I'm saying? There's a big difference here. If you're in that place, God will work with you. He will forgive you. He knows the intention and the condition of your what? That's all that it comes down to. Some of us, I think, get, get lost in this grace thing and, get, and just get trapped in this cycle of sin and there's, you don't, it doesn't really bother you and you think, you know what, I'm cool. God's got me covered. Jesus died for me. He understands me. He understands this is what I want. It makes me happy. It feels good. I'm going to do it, whatever. Guys, that's a dangerous place to be. Because you're not going to be forgiven. We're only forgiven when we confess our sin, we acknowledge our sin before God, and we, and we agree with him that what we are doing is what? It's sin. It's wrong. Then he can work with you. Then he can forgive you. Just a word of caution. But what I want you to walk away with here as we finish this up is simply this. You need to hear this, guys. You need to hear it. There is no sin too great that God can't forgive you. Some of you are sitting in the room today, you're saying, well, I, I know God forgives me, but he could never have forgiven me for that. That's a lie. There is no sin too great that God can't forgive you. There is no shame too great that God can't redeem you and restore you. There's no mistake too big that God can't cover. There, no matter what it is, guys, you can turn to God right now, right now, because of what Jesus has done. He's carried out justice on the cross, and he's given us grace and mercy through the cross. And no matter what it is or what you've done or how far you've run, no matter any of that stuff doesn't matter. All that matters is that right now you can turn to him in faith, and you can seek the God of forgiveness, and he will give you grace and mercy in your time of need. He will. And you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your, your sins... The price for your sin has been paid. The penalty for your sin has been um, taken care of. And the punishment for your sin was carried out for you. And that is how God, he brings the books back into what? He brings them back into balance. Because he takes our sin, puts them on Jesus, takes Jesus' perfection and righteousness, and he puts them into our account. And so then he brings everything back into balance so that we're not guilty anymore. We'll be judge of all the earth, not too righteous. So guys, 
as our praise team comes back up, I just, I think that, number one, we needed to be reminded that if we're going to look at the world around us and the culture around us and the sin and the, and the perversion and the evil and the darkness and everything around us, and we're going to keep our eyes focused on all the, on the outside and point the finger and just say, you know, if all these people out here would just do better, they wouldn't be so wicked and evil, then everything would be okay. Look, Dad, I don't believe that's where God wants us to be right now. If you don't get anything else from me today, if you hadn't taken anything else from this message today, I think it's time for us to really get serious about looking at ourselves in the what? Looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying, God, I can't change a thing about what everybody, X, Y, and Z people are doing. I can't even change my own, my own family, my friends, my spouse. I can't change anybody else in this world. I'm responsible for who? I'm responsible for me. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. It is a scary thing to do. To have to look in the mirror and be honest with yourself before God and say, okay, God, I'm ready. Show me. I'm ready. Show me all the areas of my life that are not pleasing you right now. I'm ready. And if you ask him that, be ready. Because he what? He's going to show you. And then you're going to have a choice to make. Do I run to the cross? Do I run to Jesus? Or do I further try to run away and hide? We can only hide so long, guys. Judgment is coming. Amen. And you know what the Bible says? That judgment starts with the household starts right here. Let's pray together. <coughs> Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. That only through him, Lord, you can be both just and justifier. You can satisfy the demands of justice to punish our sin, to pay the price for our sin, but at the same time, you can extend us grace, mercy, and forgiveness at the great expense of the life of the Son of God who died for us. Some of us in this room are battling guilt and shame. We feel like there's, there's no way we could really get, be forgiven for the things that we've done. Lord, that's a lie. Some of us are here, we're trying to justify our sin, and we're trying to continue to live in a way that's not pleasing to you, Lord, and we're believing the lie that, that, you, that you, just, you can just overlook that, that we're just covered by grace, Lord, but that's a lie. God, whatever it is that we need to do as individuals to stop looking at the world around us and, and how pointing the finger at everybody else in the world, Lord, help us to get honest with ourselves, Lord. Father, please, and let us look at ourselves in the mirror and examine our hearts and be willing to admit and confess all the things that are in our life that need to get made right. Because I believe with all my heart, Lord, that until that happens in our lives as individuals and in our lives as, as a church, as a church family, Lord, nothing's going to change. We're not going to live in victory. We're not going to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to see you really unleash your, your transforming power in our lives, Lord, until we deal with these things in our own hearts first. 
And that's my hope and prayer today, Lord, that we would get honest with you today. We would run to the cross where justice was met. And that we would receive grace and mercy in our time of need. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.